Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup, episode 96 for the week ending Monday, February 20th. Now this is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andile Masugu and I'm so glad you could join me. This week though we bring you something a little different on the show. Now you know how often we ask you, our listeners, to contribute insights and commentary on the stories that we cover each week. Well, many of you do just that, and we absolutely love it. We're really grateful for all your tweets, Facebook and Instagram posts, your emails, and even the audio clips that uh, some of you guys send through uh, that make the show that much richer and um, certainly help to balance the perspectives I share on the show. And so I'm often asked by listeners on the show and in the course of my daily grind, you know, what informs my opinionated take on the biggest tech and innovation stories we cover? each week and I often tell people that firstly I generally have an opinion about pretty much everything and I'm usually more than happy to share that opinion um, and also just to have it challenged and and uh, and tested by by other really smart people that I get to meet um, the other thing though is that you need to realize that I have I'd say five to ten times more conversations per week than the average person anywhere in the world so it's often those conversations that help me uncover insights that uh, are really exposed by blogs or tweets and think pieces that uh, you know you typically find online you know with regards to Africa's tech and innovation scene and it's not just conversations with high-flying c-suite types but often uh, it's conversations with startup founders career tech heads VCs business angels as well as everyday Africans who are leveraging tech uh, to make a better life for themselves. And so this week, we thought it might be a plan to dedicate an entire show to let you in on some of the offline conversations that I have with listeners of the show. So stick around because we'll listen in on a chat that Chris Campbell, who's the co-founder of the African Business Angels Network, uh, well, he taped a conversation while on the road with the Nigerian angel investor and all-round advocate for Africa's early-stage tech business ecosystem, Tomi Davies. And then I'll also share a part of a conversation I had with a Ugandan blogger, tech activist, and entrepreneur named Nicholas Kanda, who is easily one of our favorite Ugandan listeners. And while that's all coming up, we need to do this first. This episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by a partner initiative that we're super excited about. It's the Afrobytes conference that's happening in Paris this June, and it's being convened by Afrobytes founders Amin Yusuf and Hawea Mohammed, two incredible Africans who will be hosting this event at Station F, the world's largest startup campus right in Paris. Now, Afrobytes is easily Europe's premier African tech conference, and this year, for the first time, it'll be taking place during the Future Ensemble Festival in Paris. Now, make a plan to join a bunch of people who truly believe that the next big digital and human adventure will take place in Africa. It's a chance for you to learn about the latest innovation trends uh, impacting the African ecosystem. Think startups, tech talent, uh, investors, executives, all with a passion for growth and innovation and keen to initiate dialogue and build roadmaps for action. For more info on the conference and how you can book early bird tickets and to take in the event's incredible speaker list, which includes Almaz Nagesh, Eric Mugendi, Chidi Okpala, Claude Grunitsky, Samir Abdelkri, Tayo Akinyemi, Tebe Ikalafeng, Toro Orero, Aaron Fu, and of course yours truly, 
just to name some, head over to afrobytes.com right now. And we can't wait to see y'all in Paris. And now, as promised, I'm about to play some clips that will let you into the minds of some individuals who are actively involved in Africa's tech ecosystem, uh, both on the continent and abroad. You know, it should give you a sense of some of the conversations I have day to day with some of the brightest people at the coalface of innovation on the African continent. Now, first up is some audio from A-Band's Chris Campbell, who caught up with Candace Johnson at the World Business Angels Investment Forum that just wrapped in Turkey recently. Now, Candace is the co-chair of the Global Business Angels Network, and Chris got her to react to Africa's presence at the event. Uh, then, of course, Chris also spoke to the illustrious Nigerian thinker and angel investor Tommy Davies and got him to share his thoughts on how the world is waking up to the notion of Africa being a serious tech investment destination. Take a listen. This is Chris Campbell, uh, co-founder of the African Business Angel Network and the South African Business Angel Network. And I'm here at the World Business Angels Investment Forum in Istanbul, Turkey. And with me I have Candice Johnson, president of the European Trade Association for Business Angels and uh, a co-chair of the Global Business Angel Network. Candice, it's fantastic to be here with you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Kristen. It's been so great to have the president of ABON, to have uh, the CEO of VC uh, for Africa, to have all of these African uh, Business Angel Network board members uh, here at the World Business Angel Investment Forum. Um, it has been an exciting two days. Uh, we have had business angels from around the world. We have had corporations from around the world. And there's also been a focus on fintech, which is very interesting because in Africa, fintech is really taking off. And what was also so exciting here was, you know, seeing Africa angel investors and entrepreneurs really take the world stage and light up um, and, and enthuse uh, all of the investors coming from around the world as to the opportunities that are today present in Africa. Um, it's been a great two, two days, and we look forward to coming, all of us, to um, South Africa very soon for the Global Entrepreneurship Congress and the Global Business Angel Network. Thank you so much, Candice. Uh, standing here with Tommy Davies, the president of the African Business Angel Network. Tommy, you've, uh, you've come to Istanbul. Uh, this is your second year here. And... Uh, what struck you about this year's forum? Has there been any, any major takeaway uh, from the last day and a half? Well, um, the reason we come to forums like this is exactly uh, because of one of the major takeaways I'm taking from there. Yesterday I had the privilege of listening to the Balkans uh, Angel Association panel, and one of the major things that struck me is the similarity between the post-communist era in Eastern Europe and the post-colonial era in Sub-Saharan Africa. And the fact that because you have had authoritarian governments and leadership in both instances, it has left a set of people who are genuinely struggling with entrepreneurship and innovation. And that creates a serious challenge for investors who are investing, recovering the kind of investment proceeds that uh, they were expecting to, to, to make. Yeah, that's a very interesting topic and highly relevant to, to, what, to what we are encountering uh, in Africa and how we navigate our future and, and where investors are coming from. Mm -hmm. 
Tommy, out of interest is um, over the last one to two years, um, coming to forums such as these, have you seen a shift in how people relate to the African opportunity, uh, to, uh, to investment opportunities, to angels uh, in Africa? Yes, um, I, I've seen, you know, uh, certain key features. The first is when we first started engaging, it was like Africa thought everybody there was poor and there was nothing. Um, then they've heard one or two success stories, and it's almost uh, last year was what I call the year of curiosity, where people were kicking our tires. Um, but now we're starting to get, you know, well, sorry, not just curiosity, one or two people actually co-invested with us last year from Europe. But this year, based on the experiences of those who did it last year, we're starting to get some serious interest. So I'm quite optimistic that, you know, five, ten years out, we will be part of the global um, angel investment scene properly, not just an add-on um, that's just arrived. And uh, perhaps to play a devil's advocate for a second is um, we, we spend a fair amount of time as an as a ABAN team mm. uh, attending different conferences, uh, sharing the story of African startup opportunities and investment opportunities. Uh, why, why, do you, why do we spend time doing this? Uh, why does it matter? Should, isn't there, shouldn't we be spending all our time at home uh, not going to conferences such as these? Well, then how will people know that... Africans are developing Africa, and they need support in that development, not that we want them to come and develop on our behalf. That is our message to forums such as this, and I think it's a critical message to be carried forward. And um, you, you, nobody can ignore what's happening with America first, or Brexit, or any of those things where we're seeing the rise of nationalism, where people really want to build their own areas, their own turfs and everything else, and they're unlikely to, lend a hand, uh, to, to, to give a lending hand if you're not doing stuff yourself. So this is the way of sharing with people that, look, hang on, we're going to do this with or without you. We'd really like you on board, but here's what we're doing anyway. And that's, that's really what we do at conferences like this. Fantastic. Tommy, we will see you multiple times uh, across the continent this year yeah. in 2017. Uh, any, any closing uh, excitement for what you're looking forward to in 2017? Oh, yes. I'm quite excited about two key areas, agri-tech and fintech, okay, with power and energy coming right smack bang as a third. So all those three are areas I'm expecting to see a lot in Africa this year. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Tommy. And so now here's a fun chat I had with one of our most treasured listeners in Uganda. He's a blogger and tech entrepreneur named Nicholas Kianda. And after he and I shared many offline conversations, we finally managed to tape one of them to share with all of you. Now, it's a chat that bounces all over the place, as great chats tend to do. So do buckle up and enjoy. I'm Nicholas Kianda. I have an organization I run called the Hope First Group. Uh, we're based here in Uganda. It's a small business, but it, uh, it runs... Um, uh, a couple of things under uh, one banner, uh, which is mainly uh, media, uh, small business finance, and basic training. Right. Nicholas, welcome to the African Tech Roundup, man. Thanks, man. <laughs> it's finally good to be in touch with you. Absolutely. And just uh, out of interest, what, what's your background? Are you, um, are you a programmer? 
hardware guy, software. Uh, what are you into? Um, I've, 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 I've spent some time studying Cisco networks, uh, and I also do a bit of programming because I, I build websites, but that's mainly just HTML and a bit of uh, cascading style sheets, which is CSS, which is pretty basic. And then I also have uh, some experience in building content management systems using basically Joomla and Moodle. Uh, I also have an interest in uh, uh, human resource management systems. And so I kind of write in between the, the hardware and the software side. And then I also I also really enjoy working with like uh, Windows XP systems. I know Windows is pretty old, but I, 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 I love playing around with Windows and Ubuntu. And so I'm into like the open, free and open software movement. So you're one of those people who was super excited to hear Microsoft um, open their arms uh, to the open source community, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And it's been pretty interesting because what's happened with, I think Dell, Dell's, Dell's taking it a step further now. They're, they're building their laptops and, and installing um, uh, open, open source software on, on their systems now. So it's become like a mandatory thing for them, which is pretty exciting. And uh, we recently reported on BlackBerry um, uh, opening up part of their API to development. How, how excited do you think um africans are about that or african developers are about that i, I mean uh, in most parts of the world uh blackberry has long lost its luster but uh there's a fair amount of users here on the continent so what do you make of that and, and its potential to to actually um uh, build build up the software business for for blackberry what i've noticed is um is with 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 the big with big telecom providers like mtn uh, and then some of the other other older ones, the bigger giants, is what they've been doing is they have BlackBerry support for uh, for their high-end customers. And what they'll do is they'll provide uh, top-level management with, with, with like, uh, smartphones like BlackBerrys, um, which also kind of means that uh, at, at some point when, the, when those big providers decide that we're going to have, for example, they, they, in where I'm at, they do lots of competitions where they say, okay, we'll have uh, uh, an app design competition and we'll have, uh, we'll give out away this prize, this kind of thing. So if they decide to go uh, system specific in terms of their development, then there's a lot of potential. But that means that what uh, BlackBerry has to do or what MTN has to do, for example, is MTN has to sit down and say, what's in it for us if we push your systems downwards towards our developers? Um, and then the developers would, 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 would gain interest. What's, what has been happening for people like Huawei, Huawei, for example, is they come in, they set up a school, they teach a bunch of kids at campus how to create and design for their systems. And then it's up to the providers to say, okay, we're, we're going to sell uh, Huawei phones and we're going to provide support for Huawei phones. You know, so it's, it, it kind of becomes like a... a, a, a it creates a whole a whole chain uh, value chain f uh, from from the educators to the students that are coming into the system, and then to um, to the guys themselves that are supplying the phones from on the other end. Then what happens on on uh, that they do on this side is they'll say, okay, now we've we've given you these phones. Now we need you to uh, to brand them with the uh, <laughs> we need you to brand them with 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 either MTN logos or or Airtel logos or whoever the provider is that's that's working on that down here. Um, so that's kind of how they do it. At least that's how the Chinese are doing it. Yeah. I was actually thinking about the BlackBerry situation and their lost advantage. I mean, I mean they, they, they lost the advantage they had when they were a market leader on the, on the handset side. Um, 
Look, their software has always been uh, legendary, and it's you know it's their it, security it, regimen's it been great. But uh, the last advantage of not having their smartphones be the most uh, or the most desirable and perhaps the, uh, uh, well distributed is a huge advantage to lose. And now trying to come to market with yeah. a standalone sort of software offering um, on you know on its own merits, you know, taking on like thousands of other software businesses that have been killing it for decades um, is going to be, or at least killing yeah, it for yeah. the last couple of years or s excelling in specific little niches is going to be really difficult for, for BlackBerry, I think. It, it is. I mean, I'm glad they're, I'm glad they're, they're fighting on their back in the market as, as is, as is the, the case with Nokia. But what I think the challenge they have is, is one of the challenges they've been dealing with is when you, when you, you allow uh, another company to buy your product, um, then you kind of lose you lose a bit of your essence. And you're talking about Nokia, obviously selling to so, HMD or their their sort of handset their yeah, handset and, business to HMD. Yeah, and remember what happened before when when uh, when when uh, they, they 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 had an agreement with Microsoft. You kind of lose something the moment you 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 merge with another company and you give in a sense you give it your name. You see what I'm saying? So uh, you almost want to put Nokia and and the and the BlackBerry thing in the same category, although. BlackBerry was kind of like in a, uh, a class of its yeah, own. Yeah, and, and of I course, I mean, these huge organizations that have like their, their own, their own um, strategic agendas and strategic goals, you know, sometimes they don't align perfectly. Yeah, no, they, they don't. If, if, if it was possible, you almost want to buy the, you, you almost want to buy the company um, uh, kind of like in the shadows and then just, just leave them, have them keep their name and just keep doing what they're doing. And then profiting on the side, but I don't know even I don't even know if that's that's possible. Like okay, for example, we're using Skype right now. Unfortunately, yeah. for, fortunately for us, it's worked. But you remember how at the beginning, um, uh, I told you I use Linux, and so yeah. what's been happening is I think that the the desire to merge uh, to bring in uh, like Microsoft Hotmails and Microsoft MSN to merge that to the platform has taken them quite a while. Yeah. Now they're realizing that there's there's a lot of developers that are creating software for uh, for for Ubuntu and Linux, and so now the gap that was left for them to absorb the, this new system and, and and this new environment is it's 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 proving them it's proving kind of difficult. Yeah. But just like you said about uh, Black, uh, BlackBerry at the beginning, is they had the advantage of of having a very very secure system and they should build on that. Remember, like at the beginning when um, I think when uh, Barack Obama had just taken the presidency. He was yeah. famous for using his BlackBerry, and then at some yeah. point, I, I mean, that would that for me that would have been a brilliant opportunity to do some marketing thing just behind the idea that an American president trusts our phone. You know what I mean? <laughs> at the time, I mean, they thought the fact that they were proprietary and that their system was closed was arguably their biggest asset, and of course, that was a, a massive miscalculation on their part, I guess. And then also, I think like I think you. The same category of Nokia and um, and BlackBerry is, you know, the forces with the, the battle between uh, this whole globalization thing and this nationalization thing. Because for, for BlackBerry is arguably a Canadian brand, you know, but yeah. but it was a Canadian brand with, with a global reach. So how do you balance the desire to continue pushing your Canadian brand with with uh, the forces of globalization, which is the same thing that you could see for Nokia. Um, they're made in Finland, aren't they? It was like really big in, in the country and it was taking the country places. But then how do how would they balance between um, going global and staying relevant locally in a sense? They're trying to recapture that nostalgia. I mean, with this news about them 
you know, reissuing the, or their, their plans to reissue the 3310. That was my first phone, by the way. <laughs> my first phone ever was a 3310. And I'm probably just going to buy one just because just I have such strong positive memories, you know, uh, you know, such, such nostalgic memories. And um, I don't know if I, if I were to bet on either BlackBerry or Nokia, and of course they're in hugely differing businesses on the software side. I know with Nokia, they're trying to branch into um, basically helping mobile telcos, you know, make the transition from just mobile telcos to like, uh, you know, information services businesses. And I know they've got like massive software plays on that end um, okay. that they've recently announced. But mm-hmm. I, I, I'm betting that they could actually make it in the, in the sort of handset space. I think they could do what I think BlackBerry might find a very hard time doing uh, in okay. terms of recovering in the handset space. Do you know if BlackBerry, uh, uh, you know, the, the whole idea, because I hear the, 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 the BlackBerry keyboard is really popular for, for uh, BlackBerry enthusiasts. Do you know if they're, they're, they're going to find a way of merging that with the, with, with the, touch, the touch screen system? Is the touchscreen system patented or are they going to find a way of... Because I know that's really, really popular. Do you know, I don't know. Um, what I do know is that their handset sales are like tanking miserably. They, they are okay. um, pretty much hanging the, their entire hope on, on growing software. Um, basically, two ways. Enterprise plays. I mean, they're very famously partnered with a very unpopular politician in the US who, who's friendly with the Trump empire. Uh, and 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 then they're partnering with them, you know, trying to get major government contracts all around the world, you know. So they they want to play in that arena. At the same time, um, they're trying to appeal to the development community uh, okay. further downstream, you know, uh, people like not unlike you, uh, who they hope will start to massage BlackBerry essence into the the development community and make you know and hopefully make it go, go mainstream. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they're hoping that between those two things, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, they 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 create this massive software business that hopefully will will stand the test of time. At this point, I I, I don't see them putting too much hope on on taking on the software. Uh, uh, sorry, the handset business in any sort of meaningful way. Um, okay. Yeah, it's just become super competitive. Android has made it super complicated for them uh, to to even think about. And on the proprietary side, mm-hmm. um, I think Apple's got it locked down. Okay. Um, what about what? What yeah, do you think that's about my, that's my sense of it? I'm not sure. What do you think about the like uh, the, the Asian side? Because what what's been happening with like the Huawei's that I told you about the the, the Chinese and of course Samsung now is um, what what Huawei yeah. did is they've they started off like pretty much just doing like uh, uh, USB sticks for, with the internet, you know, and then they 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 start just just kept expanding. I'm not sure how this is going to play out if they use the if they use the Chinese model because what the Chinese did is they just started off in, in a basically infrastructure, which is basically which a lot of it which which pretty much yeah. runs on, on 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 software, and you could see that you could see them doing some of what yeah. Cisco Cisco had done before because Cisco had such a hold on the market in terms of its creation of of, of routers and switches and, and and taking care of the backbone of of, uh, of the internet, and then. But all those devices were being driven, just like you said, by software. Um, but what the Chinese have done really well is they've is they've come into the markets and they've they've started teaching students, young people, how to use their devices and how to program specifically for their for their devices. And so, if if in my view, if if Nokia is going to make or if, or if BlackBerry is going to make any progress, 
they have to find a way of integrating into the university system as it stands. Either the university system or, or maybe finding a way of, of going open source and putting some of their code out there and leaving it up to young developers to, to, to develop and to, and, and to earn money from just developing and taking part in competitions and saying, okay, um, this is part of our code. We'll, gi we'll give you the rights to modify it. And then uh, we can share profits. We can find a way of sharing profits. Uh, totally hear you on that. Uh, and maybe them opening up certain, uh, opening up the API uh, on a certain level. Well, in a limited sense, might yeah, be yeah. the start of, the, of of that sort of um, move towards like being fully open. Although I'm sure in their board, I'm sure the C-suite over at BlackBerry is is still convinced of the fact that you know they're, they're being the most secure sort of. Uh, one of the world's most secure systems mm -hmm. uh, is one of their biggest tickets, and and I don't imagine opening it up completely. Yeah, uh, I, or maybe they, I, I don't know if they've even imagined a world where they'd make money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. After they made their system totally open, I don't know if they. It's a it's I'm a sure very tough model. It. I'm sure they think about it, but I'm not sure they. It's a tough model to to crack, especially after you've lost. The, the competitive advantage of being in everyone's hands, you know, uh, that you had some years ago. But you know what? I love the digression we, we've taken. I mean, this is not <laughs> even what we were going to talk about. Um, what people listening to us right now don't know is that you are arguably our most, yeah, I, I, with, with, with risk of sort of ticking off some of our other very participative listeners, you, you're easily one of the more participative. And when I say participative, I mean... Like you take us on. I mean, like you'll hear you'll hear me or someone on the show um, uh, say something or make an or share an opinion or an insight, and you'll write me an essay, bud. You know, and and I love it because they're typically essays that are worth um, worth reading all the way through. Uh, of course, we we don't typically share essays on our platform at africantechroundup.com or anything. Um, but yeah, you always leave me thinking, you know, or always leave me with nuggets of, 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 of wisdom or nuggets of insight uh, being in the East, you know, in East Africa, being in Uganda, in what I think the world considers widely uh, when they think of Africa as one of the most progressive parts of the continent as far as tech and innovation, uh, the, the, the East African region. Uh, I suppose South Africa, the, the South Africa kind of comes second i think you know and um in terms of how people think of africa and innovation on the continent and so your views you know it, it's it always get me thinking and you you sent me a, a response to a conversation or an, a reaction to a conversation i had with Catherine liu um, of barclays africa and i'd asked her a question about um a, a theory that's beginning to form you know around the potential of a bubble bursting in, in as far as Africa's tech industry is concerned. And I know a lot of our listeners are sitting in other parts of the continent. They've never been to Uganda. They don't know the scene is uh, in, you know, they've never been to, to, to Cape Town or Joburg, Cairo, Lagos or Abuja. And um, they're not sure how much of the enthusiasm they see about our tech scene uh, in mainstream media to actually buy into wholeheartedly and how much of it to sort of take with a pinch of salt. And so, yeah, I want us to dive into that for a moment. Um, this idea that there might be an over-enthusiasm in, in perhaps, you know, the way the scene is reported. And I say the scene, you know, wrapping Africa up in one, in one bunch, which is a bad thing to do. But, I mean, you've probably seen it. I've definitely picked up on it once in a while. And then there's sometimes VCs or angel investors, certainly startup founders looking for money abroad and, 
and even on the continent who want to paint this pretty picture, which, you know, might not always be the, the, the case. And so give me your thoughts on, um, on everything I've, I've sort of laid out as, as an introduction to, to our conversation. What, what, I, what we have here is um, in terms of like the startup scene, because that's, that's probably the best place to start is, is for example, there's a, there's a place called Outbox Hub. Um, and what I've been trying to do in terms of, of figuring out how, the, how this thing works is I, I visit these places and then I find out what, what, what model they're using for business. So the, the first one that I mentioned called Outbox Hub, it's, it's, it, it feels very, very business driven. Um, then there's another one called um, um, the Hive, Co- Hive Collab that was started by John Gauzier. Okay, what basically they, what, what you do is you, you it's, it, they're, the, they're it? incubators. What is it? Um, they they'll give you space. They'll let they'll let you work there. They'll give you uh, internet, mm-hmm. and then um, usually what you can do is the package you get, uh, the, the the amount of money you pay for will determine kind of the package you get. You get a nice nice office space. You get free internet for that month or for for the for the for the period that you're connected. And usually that's those are basic services that you're going to get out of these uh, co working spaces. That's pretty much what they are now. Additional services or additional things would be like okay, there'll be mentorship, uh, in t- in terms of uh, finding industry professionals that, that could help okay. you take your business to another level and those kinds of things. Um, what you also have is like they have maybe special days uh, like uh, at, at uh, Hive Collab they have like they used to have like special Mondays where they they focus just on mobile health and or health in innovation in 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 in, in mobile using mobile technology um, then you ha- you'd have maybe days when they do education um, there's another one that's called innovation village Kampala where what they've done is they've created um, uh, um, they've, they've identified those key key positions that are, that would be trend setting areas and they've started creating like um, maybe you could call them clinics around those specific areas like fintech uh, agriculture uh, environmental climate change and then they also have something that they're, they're developing around empowerment of women and, and girls in ICT so usually what happens is, is the first one comes up and does an amazing job at something and then um, others may follow building up on what was, what was done before um, the two that I mentioned Outbox Hub and um, Hive Collab what they do is um, sometimes they'll get you'll get a partnership with an international group, uh, for example, there's, there's what they call Pivot East. And there's also Demo Africa. And some of them usually will show up in South Africa also and, and the rest of the East Africa region. Um, but the, the guys who direct these projects have different itineraries. You know? So what they'll do is they'll come and say, okay, this, the, we have a competition. Uh, teams of four will come in and they'll, uh, maybe we'll have, uh, we'll have five areas in which the competitions are going to be based in. And so guys who create solutions for mobile and they'll have a, uh, maybe they'll have a competition in Uganda and then they'll have like a regional meet. Then right. uh, there's a, there's used to be also one called uh, Mara. So it started by this, this Asian, Asian business guy that, that started doing small business and then kind of really expanded and went really big. Um, but I haven't, I visited them just once. Um, I haven't been able mm. to visit them again. He may have expanded and gone into 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 other ventures. Now, in terms of what you were talking right. about, 
the, the bubble idea is is um, what what I've been trying to do. What we've been th- what I think the the, the the best way to 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 do this to do this is to track the progress of individual young people that take part in these competitions. Um, that's not very easy unless they they stay attached to the co-working mm-hmm. spaces where you find them initially. But if you track these people and see how, especially the ones who, okay, yes, you want to track the ones who win, but you also want to track the ones who kind of don't win and keep keep competing and all those kinds of things. Um, now, if you track them and then are able to find out, okay, you won this competition, where mm-hmm. are you now? How is the company going? Um, you know, you'll find some that say, okay, our product is running. We're running in two or three countries. I have one example of those of uh, one that that does an agricultural provide an agricultural won a competition for an agricultural solution. I think they're doing Kenya, Uganda, and I think Peru. So that was interesting that they their solution found yeah. found its way all the way to South America, but of course that has its challenges, right? Because that means that now maybe they was, they had to think in terms of language and you know all those kinds of things in terms of expansion. Yeah. Um, now. You know how, like, usually when you have it's uh, some of it, some of it is a bit like gambling, yes. where you know the odds are against you, but once in a while, when someone wins, you, they, you generate a lot of excitement around around the developer community, right? Uh, around the uh, you know, so people will flood will flood that to see if they can they can um, hmm. they can they can win big. Now, if you watch the, if you watch the scene, you you know you can you can you can pretty much figure out how to how yeah. to win. Um, if you, because um, I think you basically need about a, a team of about four people. You need a guy who's a guy who understands finance. You need a guy who understands code. Mm. You need a guy who understands presentation. Um, and then, and then, um, yeah, you probably okay. Maybe, maybe just three, three right. basic, three basic guys um, to to help you uh, get your get your product through. Um, so that's. Right. That's kind of like that's kind of like the technical part. Now the the hard part in terms of establishing how how useful it is or the the bubble part is, is sometimes the chunks of money that are produ- that are promised for, uh, for for simple solutions, are so large. So you get to wonder, is is this really worth that much to put a product mm. on a phone, for example, or on, on a device? As a, um, as 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 a, as a solution for for uh, a, say a global thing or health thing or whatever, that's one part. Um, of course, if it's if it's like something that can that usually if it has a if it has a strong medical um, uh, medical link, and that's something completely different. So let me let me walk you back a bit, right? Let me walk you back. Um, so in trying to answer this question of do we have um, a situation where a bubble is forming and it could burst. You, well, you've come up with this scientific, uh, a quasi-scientific approach of of looking at the landscape of okay. uh, you know acceleration and incubation we have for startups on the continent. You've named uh, some, some people that are involved in those businesses. And your approach would be to now identify mm-hmm. uh, startups that come through that ecosystem and see how well they do and uh, at the same time, try and evaluate whether the value that seems to be assigned to them uh, or their valuations based, you know, based on you know, what investors mm-hmm. are willing to put behind mm-hmm. them or what the startup founders themselves claim they're worth. Well, you're, you're thinking about it in the sense of 
are those figures realistic in the context of what these startups can actually, in, in terms of the value they can create and also the revenue they can, they can create in terms of sustainability and, and being, you know, basically sustainable businesses. Is, is that, am I sort of summarizing it well? Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much it. And so what are you finding? And so what are you finding in that context? Are you, are you finding that, uh, you know, are, are you finding that there is a, a good correlation between Firstly, are you finding that there's a decent that the pipeline for 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 great businesses or great startups, and con, you know mm. co- consequently deals for VCs and angels, angels and VCs, um, do you do you think do you see that pipeline forming nicely, and do you consider that the value that these these startups are creating is genuine and as praiseworthy as some of the think pieces we see written all over the place about, and also are they being valued? Um, correctly in the context of their, you know, um, their potential to be, what I, you know, what, I, what I see is, is, is um, remember before we, we, in, 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 the, in the message we, we were talking about, uh, I said, we talked about the whole idea of, of like a grant that can say, for example, um, you can get uh, foreign support and someone helps you maybe take care of your, the, the, the month's rent for, uh, and, and, and that kind of, helps you get through that month uh, as you develop, you know, as you focus your energies towards more creativity and those kinds of things. And the way I was looking at it is that in the, in the ecosystem, the ecosystem mm-hmm. is, a, is supposed to be a natural, a natural occurrence that, that, uh, that, that everything else kind of uh, uh, gathers around and, and flourishes over. Like for example, if you read, if you, if you, if you, I don't know if you've read some of like uh, Michael Porter's work in, in with, with Harvard Business Review, when he talks about clusters, and he basically says it's it's like a it's like a formation that you, you people don't normally even plan these things. Like for example, um, in Uganda here, you have places where they do uh, brick building and construction, and all of a sudden these little industries will start coagulating around a certain area and all end up doing construction related stuff. In the U.S., it was like maybe aviation or like potato potato farming, and then everything that emerges out of the potato farming. So, the the thing that's unnatural in my view is what causes the bubble is, is is what will result in the bubble or, will, or is what causes the bubble. The idea that a business should be a business should be led to flourish on its own, um, and and those who, okay, yes, with, with minimum supervision, but the moment in which either the bank walks in or the other guy comes and says, okay. Um, let me put this in here, and, and, and it will help your business go through. I think that sometimes can be can, can be a bit of a hindrance. And so, is that a criticism of the whole the whole incubation no, model, the whole uh, VC model? Uh, I mean, we've got like high profile examples like Uber that are, are, are basically set up to be far too big to fail. There's sovereign funds behind them, massive VC potential behind uh, poten- power behind them. Um, it's. I mean, look. I mean, no one's saying it's a bad business, but uh, it, it's it's almost secondary whether or not they are sustainable and uh, potentially profitable. You know, for for decades to come at this point. And it, it, is, do you find that sort of attitude prevailing in 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 Africa or in your context in in Uganda? What what I th- what I see is 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 like for example, we've tried to. Um... Just like I said, the models that exist here, we've tried to include the education system in, in investing into, in terms of like, okay, let's, let's let, the, let the young people go through um, uh, the whole computer science course or the information technology course, and then maybe in the third year, 
let him take part in a competition, you know, and then, uh, you know, and then progress. Or, we, or some of them have said, okay, let's mm-hmm. let's get NGOs, for example. Let's get uh, uh, NGO support to come in and let's say, let's do something for governance, for example, where you have the ICT for, for development or ICT for governance. Um, then usually what happens there is then they'll focus on uh, probably human rights and those kinds of things. Now, the thing that what usually we'll find is is sometimes there'll be there'll be a bit of contention between um, governance on one hand uh, and then um, on the human rights side, and then the guys that are kind of involved. Because what we, there's there's always going to be some sense of suspicion um, for for at least on this continent um, with regards to uh, to to social media with regards to the whole idea and concept of human rights and then stability of governments in general. There's always kind of like that that suspicion that dude, what's this what are these guys working on? You know, what are these guys doing? What is this what is this government stuff that these guys are doing? So so that's a hurdle that most most businesses here will have to face, especially if they decide to do anything related to human rights or governance or, or, or that kind of stuff. Unless they find a way of of, of of working directly with government and, and, and earning the trust of government. Now, in terms of how it reflects itself, is like you, if you look at your, your, okay. your budgets and you look at how much is allocated towards ICT, that will kind of give you a rough idea how, how, your, how your startup community is, is going to flourish. So what, we've tried to, what I think we've tried to do here and what some of the groups are trying to do here is we're trying to see how we can, how we can merge our policy with, with what happens in terms of like the practice. Many, many thanks to our friends at ABAN, David Van Dyke and Chris Campbell for taping audio for us while they were on the road. Now, ABAN is definitely worth following on Twitter for all the latest news as pertains to Africa's emerging angel investment scene. Go ahead and follow them on Twitter at ABAN Angels. And thank you to Candace Johnson of the Global Business Angels Network. Angel investment guru Tommy Davies, and of course, a big thank you to good friend of the show Nicholas Gianda, all three of them making this episode rock without a doubt. To listen to all the conversations featured in this week's show in their entirety, head over to africantechroundup.com and you'll find them on our quick tech chats playlist. Then, before I go, I'd like to thank our sponsor this week, Afrobytes. Be sure to take advantage of the early bird tickets on offer for the upcoming Afrobytes conference that they'll be hosting during the Future Ensemble Festival in Paris uh, between the 9th and the 12th of June this year. It is undoubtedly the most important African tech conference hosted in Europe and we're really pleased to be partnering with him. And then of course there's that incredible speaker list I went through earlier that you definitely don't want to miss. Uh, you've got to be there. Everything you need to know is waiting to be discovered at afrobytes.com and again We can't wait to see you there. That's it for this week. Do join me again soon on africantechroundup.com for all the biggest digital tech and innovation news from across Africa and beyond. We'll be coming at you again next week. But for now, I'm Andile Masugu. Until next time, do take care, Africa. 